Welcome to season five of the Brawn Body Podcast. I'm super excited to announce that the Brawn Body Podcast is now officially sponsored by ISOFIT. I'm super thankful for Brad Thorpe and his support of the podcast. He's been a guest multiple times on the episode. And I highly recommend you check out ISOFIT. You can find out more in the description below. We are kicking off season five with what might be my favorite episode I've ever recorded thus far. Today, I'm joined by Michaela Abatini, Kylie Durkee, Tessa Grossman, Sophia Kennedy, and Dr. Megan Rohde. And these five amazing individuals are going to help me break down and discuss a variety of factors and influences and issues within the world of female athletic. And this episode really helped me become a better person and a better clinician. And I think so much great, valuable insight was provided by these five amazing individuals today. I highly recommend you check each of them out individually. And I highly recommend you give this full episode a listen and share it with a friend who you think could benefit from it. So many amazing, important topics were discussed today. And I really want to make sure that we bring these things to light and bring awareness to these areas where it's really needed. I hope you enjoy this episode and I hope you take as much value from it as I did. Kylie, Megan, Tessa, Michaela, Sophia, welcome to the podcast. I'm super excited to work with all five of you today. The fantastic five will call you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. For people Thank who... For people who might not be familiar with all of you, would you mind giving us a little bit of rundown about who you are and all the amazing things that you do? Tessa, why don't you start us off? Yeah, thanks for having us on. Super excited to be here. Um, so my background, I come from softball, played softball growing up. I played softball for Dartmouth College. Uh, the entire time I was at Dartmouth, I knew that I wanted to do strength and conditioning. So I did a bunch of different internships with Dartmouth football, Cal football. I did one with the Rams, uh, really just try to get as much experience as I possibly could. I did my undergraduate in sociology. And then from there, I went to Illinois State where I did my master's in sports psychology. And I was a graduate assistant there working with football, gymnastics, women's golf and men's tennis. And then from there, did a, another NFL internship with the Falcons during training camp, which landed me at Middle Tennessee State, which is where I'm currently at. Uh, when I first got there, I worked with women's basketball, volleyball, and women's soccer, transitioned into a women's basketball and football role, which is what I'm currently in. And most recently this summer, I just finished up a training camp internship with the Jets. And so now we're, we're full swing in a women's basketball season. Yeah, kind of like Tessa. I played softball growing up. I started out at the University of North Carolina, and then I transferred to the University of Maryland where I got my undergrad and master's degree. And then with COVID and the years of redshirting, I had another year to play softball, six years. I ended up at Providence College in Rhode Island. So I have my my undergrad was in economics. My master's is in management and once I got done playing softball, I decided to go play over for the Italian national team. So did that and then decided that, you know, didn't really want to work in softball and grew up around baseball. So started out with the Pirates as a baseball operations intern, did that for about a year. And now I am full time with the Pirates now based in Pittsburgh, working in the front office in the amateur scouting department. So scouting high school and college players that we draft and one day we'll 
play for our major league club. Uh, all right. I'll, I'll break the trend. I did not play softball, uh, collegiately. <laughs> um, but, um, during undergrad, I kind of got into powerlifting and weightlifting competed in both. And that kind of led me to, you know, getting my undergrad in exercise and sports science, um, eventually master's in kinesiology, where I was a GA, um, at the university of Mary, um, worked with pretty much all the sports there, hockey, swim and dive, men's soccer, um, helps with football, helps with volleyball, basketball, it's pretty much all hands on deck there. Um, and then got my first job out at University of North Florida, um, before heading to Mercer. And then now here at the University of Houston, working with women's basketball and volleyball. So, um, I just realized, I think I'm the oldest one here <laughs> after I made the old lady bedtime joke earlier. Um, so yeah, I played, I actually did play softball, um, for a little while. And then I actually switched to swimming and I swam and had an injury. And so then I got kind of more into athletic training and actually went to college on an athletic training scholarship. Um, I ended up at the university of Oklahoma. And so my undergrad is in health and sports science. And then I went to PT school, um, that journey, as Dan kind of said earlier, took me all over the place. So I ended up at Cleveland Clinic, which really kind of was the springboard for everything else. So within the sports health department, we would kind of rotate with all of the major league teams. And then guys that were on the injured list would typically come into our facility um, and work with us. Um, and then I started working with uh, a colleague who I'm, I'm still very good friends with, with a, a soccer conditioning program. And so that was really where I started to fall in love with female athletes, um, just issues. I had my own growing up and then I was, you know, in the thick of it. And then somebody needed to run the running program and I was like, yeah, okay, I'll bite. And so I started doing the running program and then all of my runners got pregnant and I was like, okay, they didn't teach me that in PT school. Um, so I was part of the APTA's first cohort, um, in their, um, obstetric physical therapy board certification. Um, so that was really awesome to be a part of that. And so I've been working with pregnant and postpartum women now for 17 years. <laughs> and so that just, you know, has, has, has been really rewarding, really awesome. Um, and then when I left Cleveland and moved to Tucson, um, I got into CrossFit and I'd been weightlifting, you know, as a, as an athlete, most of my life, I come from a long line of power lifters and wrestlers. So I think I genetically had it in me. Um, and I competed in CrossFit and Olympic weightlifting up until December of last year. Um, so my interest kind of went from runners then more into female weightlifting. Um, and since I had the background in pregnancy and postpartum, and then I was like, okay, wait, everybody's peeing themselves and they're peeing themselves and they haven't had babies and let's figure out what the hell is going on here. So, um, I ended up leaving clinical practice, started a full-time faculty appointment at Franklin Pierce university. And I've been there now for 10 years. Um, I have a PhD in human and sports performance and my research is in stress urinary incontinence in elite female athletes. That's incredibly impressive. Thanks. It's really expensive. <laughs> it's actually what it is. <laughs> You're making me follow that, huh? <laughs> 
So I, uh, I also did not play softball. I tried to play softball, but it didn't work out well. So they just made me run the bases and they were like, you're fast, but I played <laughs> soccer all, all throughout my whole life pretty much. And that's kind of where I got my love for training. And I always say that like I got into strength and conditioning initially because I loved like the preseason, like I love the off season period and the preparation period. And, uh, in college, I did an internship for three years at Southwestern, and that's where I got my degree in kinesiology. I was with pretty much all sports there. It was a Division three school, so it was a pretty cool opportunity to work with all the sports there. And while I was there, I powerlifted. And then from there, I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to intern at UTSA. And I was with football, men's and women's basketball, and women's soccer. And then I was able to go on and get a graduate assistant position at West Texas A&M University. It's in the panhandle, if anyone knows where that is. Um, but I was with football, track and field, baseball, men's soccer, and men's golf there. So I definitely got some cool opportunities in different sports to work with there. And then midway through the GA, I was fortunate enough to have a full circle moment and receive the opportunity to come back to UTSA and work with men's or sorry, women's soccer, men's tennis, softball, and women's golf. And then I've been here for about two years now. Um, the only difference is now I'm working with men's tennis instead of men's golf. And then I'm the internship coordinator as well. So it's been great. The five of you are all impressive, incredible individuals. And I just love the backgrounds you all have and bring from being athletes yourselves involved in so many different sports and disciplines to now almost being on the other side of athletics in a sense, in the sense that you are serving the next generation of athletes, whether that's scouting them, coaching them, making sure they stay healthy, taking care of their parents, whatever it is, you are serving the next generation. And I, I, um, I'm fortunate enough to work in a clinical setting where I get to see a ton of female athletes uh, recovering from complex injuries. And I very quickly learned myself that I can't really relate to a lot of the things that they come to me and complain about because I never stood in their shoes. But all of you have probably found yourselves in similar positions to many of what I'll call the next generation of female athletes. And there's a lot of people out there in the world that I think can relate to where I am in that we want to offer some advice and insight and help, but we don't know where the hell to start. And that's why I think the five of you are really going to offer so much great advice and insight to us today. I want to start by kind of talking a little bit about the female athlete. There's a lot of trendy terms thrown out when it comes to female athletes. There's a lot of buzzwords relating to injury, injury risk, overall health, female athlete performance on the field, off the field, and so on that way. And it seems like we're talking about female athletes in a way that they are unique. And I want to hear from each of you, what do you feel makes the female athlete unique? Or is the female athlete unique compared to, say, a male athlete? Um, the rest of the girls on this call can do a much better job of talking about the injury side than I can and all of that. So I'll, I'll stay away from that. But you kind of brought up um, the off the field stuff and, you know, the difference between female sports and male sports. So 
I'm coming from working in baseball. So it's been a while since I've kind of tapped into the athlete side of me. I do train some softball athletes still on the side in the strength and conditioning realm. But I think one thing that does make the female athlete unique, it I guess it's kind of a, a double-edged sword, how for most of these girls, you know, college level sports is kind of the the pinnacle of where they're going to play. So for most of them, they're using sports as an outlet to be competitive and because it's something that they love and all these things that sports, no matter what sport they do play at is teaching them as far as these intangible skills, they're, they're falling in love with the, the weight room. They're becoming strong They're they're becoming fast and they're gaining this badass self-confidence and an undeniable work ethic and courage to strive for the different goals that they have, that they have on the field. And then once they stop playing, um, off the field so just the female athlete skills that you learn from training and competing it's just very exciting to watch these girls become really great athletes and then watch them strive to become the best at what they do off the field I think that's what truly makes the female athlete unique what they learn from playing in sports how that helps them as a student as a student in the classroom and once they um, join the workforce like the rest of us yeah, you know, I'd say to kind of go off of you right there, Michaela, is how you're going to go, how they're growing throughout their collegiate career in sports and how we can develop them both on and off the field or the court, um, you know, depending on their sport um, and how they can grow once they leave the competition, you know, so seeing just a lot more independent women going out and being successful in careers and driven in that aspect. So how can they carry that competitive edge um and how can they be comfortable in it and be comfortable with that success that comes their way um not only when they're competing but also long after and whatever it is that they decide to do um you know after their four or five years with us um one thing i think is unique is that when you talk about the physical side of it, it there's a hard approach um in terms of um, that fine line of trying to improve things like body weight and body composition to improve their overall health and improve, you know, their overall physical performance and how you can balance that without going too far over the edge, you know, um, because there are so many issues with body image, but also understanding how big of a factor those two things can play in their physical performance as well, too. So I think that's a unique challenge in terms of female athletes is balancing that, um, but just understanding, you know, go to them as a human first, build that relationship with them and explain and educate of, hey, you know, if we can improve these areas, then X, Y, and Z can happen for you out on the court too. So I think that's a unique, um, a unique part of the female athlete. I think there's a lot of things that are different about female athletes from male athletes. But I think the biggest thing for me is um, that I've seen in, you know, the years that I've done this is, is how much identity tends to be wrapped up in your performance as a female athlete. And so like, you know, I don't want to, I, I don't want to be ageist. I don't want to play the age card, but you know, when I was growing up, it was like, and I'm, fr I'm from Oklahoma. So like, if you don't get married after undergrad, you know, old, old little Southern biddies are coming up to you and they're like, honey, what's wrong? You know, like you're supposed to, like you literally go to college. We used to make jokes about you go to college to get your MRS degree. And, you know, so, so many female athletes that I worked with when I was in undergrad, 
you know, it, it was nice to see that shift in perspective that, you know, like what Michaela and Kali were just saying that they're learning how to be these strong, confident, independent women. They're seeing gains in performance, you know, in competition and on the field, but then they also have this, you know, just inherent confidence that they carry with them off the field. And they, you know, it's amazing because they never lose that. And I think that, you know, since, you know, I, in, in 1995, I was 15. And I think about all of the changes that have happened with Title IX and the evolution of women's sports in college and the evolution of professional women's sports. And I, there might be some women out there still going to college to get their MRS degree, but I think there's a hell of a lot more women that are going to college because they want to get an education, they want to play sports, and they want that competitive edge so that they can join the workforce and finally be really seen on a level playing field to their male counterparts. And, you know, so as an educator, when I think about the type of students that I have, um, I love my female athlete PT students because they have the commitment and the drive that I don't see from any other student. And I think it's because they've had to really fight tooth and nail the whole way through um, to achieve the performance that they have and to achieve, you know, their, where they are, where I think working with female athletes becomes really unique, especially when they're injured. If, if, if their sense of self is really highly tied to who they are as an athlete, and then they face an injury and they can't play for a period of time, or they might lose strength there's a, I think a big psychosocial component that comes into helping them find their worth then just as a woman, just as a person, because I think that we forget sometimes that we're so much more than just who we were as athletes. Um, and we're so much more than, than what we do. Like we actually have other things than our athletic performance to offer the world. Um, and, and I've seen women really struggle with that as they're coming back from injury, but then once they can kind of push through that and work through that, they come back from injury even stronger than they did before. Yeah, I think to piggyback off of honestly what everyone was saying, but some of what you were saying earlier, Megan, about that piece that like your identity is tied to it, but there's also certain influences that females might experience throughout their their um, like sport careers and even how that varies across different sports. So like one sport may be more body positive than another and one sport may be more driven to like shoot for a certain, you know, beauty ideal or beauty image. And so I think like while female athletes are unique due to like the physiology aspect and like the pressures that they experience, it can also even vary between sports because I know like for myself personally, just working with different sports and I, and like different and playing different sports, like definitely softball was probably the most body positive just because there are just different body types that can uh, perform really well in that sport. But in a sport like soccer, where you see a lot of athletes who are super thin, I think that sometimes drives women to be like, okay, being thin is what's going to make me better, not being better. And then maybe as a result, my body might change to look a certain way so I think you know they're experiencing things from multiple angles and it's not just like okay it's the social aspect and then it's the aspect of like the mental piece where we're putting pressure on ourselves to look a certain way or be a certain way 
And then the third piece that kind of complicates it too is the actual like physiology of it um, with, you know, like the hormones that we, like how our hormones cycle throughout the month and in comparison to a male where the hormones are gonna cycle within one day and all these things kind of impact how we recover uh, which is going to determine how we perform. So I think it's really interesting to see like all the different aspects and how they layer on top of each other. Yeah, I think you guys covered most of it. Um, but I would say one of the biggest things that I think makes the female athlete unique is just when you look at what society expects like a female to be or like a woman to be in the role for us to play. And I do think it's shifting. But if you look at like your stereotypical gender roles, like women are supposed to be a little bit more docile, maybe not as strong. Like we're supposed to play more of that type of role. And I feel like if you're a female who's an elite athlete, you're kind of the opposite of like what society says they expect a woman to be. And I do think like these roles are shifting a lot. And now you're seeing way more positive role models and like badass women in sports who are like moms who are feminine, but are like tough as hell on the court or tough as hell on the field. Um, And I think that girls growing up are getting to see a lot more role models like that as well. But I have seen that be very conflicting for some of the female athletes that I get, especially the younger ones. Like, I think a big uh, experience that I'm sure like Sophia and Kylie, you guys have probably experienced this too, of you get those freshmen who come in and maybe they haven't really lifted before, they haven't really trained before, or they just haven't really thought about like, how do I prepare my body to perform better or to get through a 40 game season. And they're like, I don't want to get bulky. I don't want to look like a man. And they think like, oh, if I lift twice a week, all of a sudden my arms are going to be freaking huge. Like, no, bro, I promise you that's not how this works. But they're just like, they struggle with the idea of like, how do I transition into this like tougher driven, not like male-like mentality, but a mentality that you see way more with the male athletes and they're way more comfortable with it. And how do you help those female athletes learn how to have that mentality, but have it in their own way? Um, and I think that female athletes are getting more comfortable with it, but I do think it's it's a different growing process than you have with male athletes. And so like right now I work with football players and I work with women's basketball players. So like every day I kind of get to see their experiences side by side and like an 18 year old coming into a football program and like what he values and what he's used to and the mentality he comes in is is very different than an 18 year old girl especially depending on like Sophia said like what sport like I played softball growing up I would say softball is much more of a body positive sport like she said you come in you're just kind of inherently it's all about it's way more about like the team you're kind of taught to just be tough in it like it is what it is gut it out um, but I had gymnastics as a GA and that was a totally different vibe I mean they're getting on the scale every day they would weigh like 105 pounds. They'd be like, like, dang, I'm huge today. And that was like not an experience I ever had growing up as a female athlete. So like that was something I had to learn how to handle and just atta- attach in a different way. So yeah, I think you guys covered most of it, but I just think that sometimes the female athletes have to work through, this is what society kind of says I should be like, but this is what's going to benefit me more in sports. And then how do I kind of find that middle ground of who I am as a player and who I am as a person within what society says I should or shouldn't be. As y'all mentioned, there's so many unique considerations that go into the life of a female athlete from teaching intangible skills and learning intangible skills from sports, but having almost like a peak effect with college being the pinnacle um, for many sports anyways, there's a lot less 
um, professional women's sports teams that I see, um, especially on TV these days, when compared to uh, male sports. You also touched on the importance of having comfort and success in athletics and how that relates to post-athletic um, life for the female athlete. We touched on the body image factor and how body image can vary between various sports and how that can tie into the overall mindset and mentality of the female athlete. We talked about how the sense of self can be tied to who they are as an athlete and how injury and loss of strength can kind of create a potential psychosocial uh, spiral for them. And it's important for us all to find a way to help the athlete, help the female athlete find their worth as a person when that locus of control is shifted off of them uh, from a physical standpoint due to injury. You touched on the uh, physiological differences, in particular those that are hormonal. And Tessa just touched on the societal expectations and how various things like gender roles and role models all play into the female athlete. And all of that combined creates a very unique athletic experience, but I also think it creates the potential for a variety of issues to arise. And maybe those are some that you notice as you are working with female athletes. And maybe those are some that you have experienced yourself as Tessa started to allude to as it related to um, the difference between softball and gymnastics with body image and body weight and that sort of thing. So I really want to hear from all of you, what kind of issues are you currently seeing? What kind of issues have you experienced and what should we be doing about them? Yeah. So, um, you know, as Tessa was kind of talking, I like thinking about this podcast coming in, thinking about this question in particular, um, she touched on a few of the things that, you know, came to my mind right away. And I think, it comes from maybe just that general misunderstanding of what, you know, the weight room means to female athletes and what it can mean. Um, and like great example, you know, if I had a dollar every time a female athlete told me they're going to get bulky for going heavier in the weight room or doing more reps in the weight room or wanting to do better in the weight room, you know, I can make a quick, a quick buck. But um, so I think it just, it comes down to that misunderstanding and, you know, what it can do for the performance and that it's not going to happen overnight. Like you're not going to turn into a bodybuilder just because you picked up 25 pound dumbbells. You know what I mean? So, um, I think that's one of the biggest issues I've seen is just, you know, having to really go deeper into the explanation of why we're doing what we're doing in the weight room and how it can benefit them as female athletes. And that at the end of the day, it's for them to get better at their sport. And it's not just to, to bulk up like, no, we're trying to make you faster and react faster. And we're trying to make you um, more durable um, and last longer in your games and have always be ready to go more minutes for your coach, you know, whatever it is they need out of you. That's what we're trying to do in the weight room for you. Um, and it's not just about getting in there and getting bigger and, and getting bulkier. Um, so that's one issue too. Um, and then I think, everything we just talked to in combination with that, you know, can, can lead you down a downward spiral of some mental health issues and just that identity and, and not understanding. So, but again, I think, you know, as a strength conditioning coach, it's your, it's our job or whatever role you play with your kids is just to make sure like, Hey, this is why we're doing it. Um, at the end of the day, it's for your overall benefit. Um, and just going back and reeducating them on, on what we can do for them. 
I think I, I, I love the comments about you're not going to get bulky because you pick up 25 pound dumbbells. Um, and I'm probably, I'm, I'm, I'm super biased because I've been at CrossFit for 12 years and, you know, and, and then, you know, played sports and, and, you know, lifted before that. And so like in terms of like my, my own experience, but then what I also saw with my, with my athletes that I worked with, you know, I, I remember being like 14 years old and I was a thrower and my throwing coach was the offensive line coach for the football team and like a history teacher. So, you know, God bless the man. He didn't know how to train a female athlete. He didn't know, he didn't even know how to train throwers, but he knew how to train the O-line. And so I did an O-line person's weight training regimen. So I was doing heavy squats and power planes when I was 14. And I, and I fell in love with the barbell at, at that point in time in my life. And I just kept up with it. And so that sense of accomplishment and empowerment, I'm so grateful. Um, I highly doubt that coach Wickert is on Instagram and will ever potentially hear this <laughs> podcast, but Thank you, Wick, because like he, he really, you know, set that stage for me, um, as a female athlete. And when I got into CrossFit and it, it started to, to come really easily to me. And then I started working with CrossFit athletes. It was a whole different mindset. You know, like it was very, it was very much about how strong, how fast can I get but on the flip side, and you, you know, I remember thinking that like the body positivity I would think would come with it, but for a lot of CrossFit athletes, it didn't because, you know, some women would get really, really strong and really, really fast, but they wouldn't, you know, look like the games athletes. And, you know, so then you're having this conversation with them, like, yeah, they're sponsored and they train eight hours a day and somebody literally cooks their food for them. So this is a little different than, you know, than what you're experiencing, but, um, as I got to be a master's CrossFit athlete, that changed drastically. And I think as women age, I think our give a shit factor kind of goes down a little bit. Um, and I saw these women who were in their, you know, thirties, forties, fifties, even sixties who are out squatting and out Olympic lifting men in their gyms. And they're absolutely jacked and, and they're beautiful. Like they're absolutely beautiful. And they're still, they're still feminine and they're, you know, they're still, they're still women, but they, again, have this confidence about them. And, and I think that's something that, you know, the weight room can always give you. Um, I, I, I love a barbell because barbell will never lie to you. It will always tell you the truth. Um, but I think in terms of, you know, issues that I see in women's sports, I, I, you know, I gotta, I gotta open the barn for the pelvic floor because I'm a pelvic floor therapist and that's what I see all the time. Even in, I, I'm, I'm confident that you ladies at the, at the college level probably hear talk about this, whether or not they report it, it's probably a different story there are women who have pelvic floor issues who have never had children. And part of it comes from, you know, breathing mechanics issues and just a weakened pelvic floor. And then, you know, what I end up seeing now in clinical practice are women who are former college athletes or, you know, are, are 
you know, were high school athletes and just stayed active and they're now having pelvic floor issues and some of them haven't even had children yet. And so I think that's something that is, I don't want to say undiagnosed, but probably not talked about. And I think even now it's probably less likely to be talked about because of, you know, the things that happened in USA gymnastics. Um, I, you know, I remember hearing about that and I remember watching some of the interviews and some of the testimonies that happened with Larry Nassar. And initially the questions that he was asking these women were relevant questions for how the pelvic floor influences things. And then, you know, obviously we all know that he, he took that to a place that it should never go, but I think that's something that we need to delve into a little bit more because it ends up becoming a bigger problem later in life. And I think, you know, if, if you're 18 years old, that's, you're not thinking about whether or not I'm going to have a uterine prolapse when I'm 40. Um, but some of the things that you do younger could create some of those problems. So I would like to see a little bit more pelvic floor prevention um, and maybe just pelvic floor awareness and, you know, collegiate and professional athletics. Um, and just like, just normalize it, just talk about it. There's nothing wrong with talking about it. Yeah. I think as I'm like sitting in on this, I'm like thinking about how much I'm learning from y'all and just how there's not, if you think about it, there's not really a lot of free resources for female athletes and popular resources that to learn about this kind of stuff. And like, we're all talking about like these issues, but like many coaches are not aware of these issues. Sometimes like athletic trainers are not aware of these issues and definitely a lot of athletes are not aware. And so I feel like a big piece is, uh, you know, the resources available um, while now like research is starting to publish more research towards women um, and starting to kind of scratch the surface with it. It's not as popular and definitely there's not as much available uh, as there is in comparison to men. And so, I mean, we can't really compare everything all the way while like, you know, men and women do have similar certain things. Like there's certain things that are different about women, like these pelvic floor issues that you were talking about. And so I feel like if, you know, resources aren't super accessible and women don't really know what's going on with their body, then like, they're not really in the position to arm themselves with knowledge and know like, what the heck's going on with me right now? You know, like, why am I so fatigued right now? Or like, why am I having these symptoms? And I feel like a big thing is just the misinformation, um, which like the blame's not really on anybody, but I think there just needs to be more normalization of these types of conversations and then just more information out there that's accessible and popular um, because athletes do really want to want to learn about it. And it's kind of sad to see like hearing some of my athletes talk about like, oh my God, I didn't know I was supposed to eat more than a thousand calories today. And like not knowing like where they're at in their menstrual cycle, which impacts their recovery and not knowing, you know, what's going on in their bodies. I feel like that's the biggest issue is just not knowing what's going on and the lack of education with coaches. Like the coaches are dictating their training plans in some ways. And even if the strength coaches or the athletic trainers know what's going on with this. There's some coaches who don't really know uh, what's going on with the female body. And in collegiate athletics, it's, it's mainly um, the majority of the coaching population is male. So like, why would they know? 
but I think the biggest piece is like education. And I think with my athletes personally, what I've seen um, is that just vulnerability and being willing to learn like what's going on with them has helped our coaches a lot. And then just our entire staff a lot, because not everybody's the same. So I feel like you have to know the individual athlete and that's where like trust and like respect with the athletes goes a long way because you're not just going to be able to tell them like, Oh, this is going on with your body when they, they know best. Um, and you know, if you start to see changes going on in them or their performance declining, uh, you know, that you have to have a good relationship with them to be able to step in and kind of be like, okay, this is what we can maybe do and notice those trends. Yeah, I think um, both you guys kind of hit it on the head in terms of what a main overarching issue, and that's just like the lack of information that A, is available. I can't tell you how many research articles I've read about like menstrual cycle and training and nutrition and female athletes. And really at the end, they say, yeah, like this is what we think maybe y'all should do, but we honestly just don't have enough research and we really can't tell you for sure, but you should give this a try. And it's like, well, okay, so why aren't we doing anything about this then if you're not even, you don't even have the real information to give me, but you can find countless articles about male athletes and what they should be using and, you know, all those types of information. Um, so just like a general lack of resources, like a, for us as the people who program for them, train them, treat them, you know, help them. And then also just for the athletes in general, um, and then their own knowledge about like Sophia said, what's going on inside their body. How does my cycle affect me? Like, I definitely did not know how my cycle affected me in college. I wish I would have, it made a lot more things make sense. Once I started learning about it, when I got to the other side and became a coach, um, you know, nutrition wise, I think that's a big one too, like not understanding. I mean, I went to an Ivy League school and I don't think any of us probably could have told you what the three macronutrients were, like to be completely honest. And now that I'm on the other side of it, now I can, but once again, that's not something I really like delved into until I was a coach and it was my responsibility to now help my female athletes with that. And then I think all of that kind of encapsulates into overarching mental health issues. Cause I think sometimes a lot of those smaller but important columns of like nutrition, menstrual cycle recovery, like caloric intake, those things can all contribute to a lack of mental health as long as, as, as well as uh, their identity being tied to them as a player. Uh, that's like something me and my girls talk about a lot is like player over person or sorry, person <laughs> over player. Um, and just understand that like the value that you bring is who you are as a person not about like the minutes you play on the court. Uh, but that's also something that just because I'm saying that to them and just because we're talking about it doesn't mean that they've all of a sudden soaked it in. And I think that is another layer of the issue is like, yes, we've identified that these things are, are issues within our female athletes. Like this is knowledge they lack, but you still try to educate them. But it's, it feels like what I think parenting would be like, like you're going to tell them and then you're going to tell them again, you're going to tell them again, you're going to tell them again. And maybe one piece of that information is going to sneak in. Um, and so just finding, I think, more constructive ways to get this information to our athletes. Um, I think that's a big one. I also think that Sophia alluded to an, uh, an important part of it, which is we're females talking to females. It's way easier to have that conversation like, hey, how far out are you from your cycle? Oh, I'm like five days out, coach. Okay, yeah, that's probably why you feel like crap today, to be honest. Um, that's probably not as comfortable 
for a male strength coach or a male athletic trainer or male coach in general to have that conversation. Um, and I think, I think coming up maybe with some constructive ways to like, Hey, how do you help a male coach have some of these conversations and educate their female athletes on the things that they have to deal with, as well as how do you help male coaches and not saying that male coaches aren't educated on these things there might be, but how do you help male coaches understand like, Hey, these are the things that females have to deal with. Like, our hormones literally drop and fall in a certain way for 28 days every month. And it really can affect your kids. And also it's super random in some months, they might feel great during one phase and some, some months they might feel like shit during one phase. And we really don't have a reason why it's just how their hormones work that month compared to one month. Um, so I think, I think there's a lot of little issues that all kind of tie into one, but I think the information piece and just learning how to educate ourselves and our female athletes is a big one yeah I think just to kind of wrap that up definitely agree with the body image the lack of education especially in nutrition and being able to find yourself outside of your athlete identity are huge and I think just one of the last issues is something that you see really at the college level is really just the lack of funding and available resources in terms of facilities when you're comparing kind of your men's sports to your female sports, uh, even at kind of the power five level, when you look at access to indoor facilities, travel, meals, it's it's not comparable when you're comparing kind of your female sports to your male sports. And, you know, everyone says, you know, that's because female sports aren't really the money makers, but then how are these female athletes and these teams supposed to win and compete in their conferences if they're not given the right resources? I think that's gotten better over the years, but I still think that's uh, an area that's a major room for improvement so that we can continue to see growth in, in female sports and getting these girls to be able to compete at the highest levels um, in their conferences and compete for national championships. I think that that's huge as far as getting more funding for these female sports at the college level. So to me, it almost creates a little bit of a downward spiral effect or a potential downward spiral for the female athlete in that we have a lot of individuals working with female athletes who might not have a whole lot of resources or knowledge about how to best provide for the athlete in front of them. And we have athletes who might not have the best knowledge base and understanding about how various factors like nutrition, recovery, such as sleep, how their cycles and so on impact their physical performance and mental performance. And to top that all off, we have a increased potential for what I'm going to call uh, injury or other issues along the lines of injury, whether that be pelvic floor dysfunction, or uh, I know ACL tends to get thrown in the news quite a bit, um, but we have a higher risk for those sort of things in females than males. Um, I know I, for one, am not concerned about uterine prolapse in myself for some reason. Um, so females have a slightly higher likelihood of that occurring. To top that all off, they have less access to facilities and resources that they need, um, whether that be at the high school level, the collegiate level, and so on that way. And if we take all of those factors and all of those variables, and we multiply that out by a multi-year athletic career or a multiple decade career, depending on how far back we want to look at the life of the female athlete, I can certainly see how this could cascade into possible mental, physical, and so many other 
health detrimental effects that we really don't want to come from sports. In my opinion, uh, and I'm possibly slightly biased about this, but I think sports should be a very positive experience for people. I think sports can really lay the foundation for individuals to learn skills that will uh, carry them throughout life. And this doesn't have to be sports in the team sense. It can be an individual sport. It can be a non-traditional sport if we want to go with that term. You can compete in CrossFit. You can be a competitive ski racer. You could be on the Olympic bobsled team. You could play softball at your high school and D3 college. What sport looks like looks different for everyone. But I think that having that can really set such a strong foundation for the rest of life. I think that we need to do better about providing a positive sporting or athletic experience and that uh, carrying that over into the rest of life for the female athlete. Now, you've all done such an amazing job uh, educating us on how the female athlete is unique and some of the issues that they face. Now, the real question is, what the hell should we do about it? What do we do from here? What should be our next steps? whether that's you as a strength coach, us as PTs um, in the medical field, who, what should we all be doing next? I'll start us off. I guess kind of bouncing off of what I just said, I do think that if you're a male coach working with female athletes, you now have a responsibility to educate yourself on some of the things that you may not be familiar with, um, whether that is, I know we talked about it a lot, but like the menstrual cycle or just the different nutritional things that you need, body composition. Um, women and men have different kind of body composition makeups. It's more natural for females to have a higher body fat percentage. That's important to know. Like it's you're you're not typically gonna have an athlete who walks in as a female who has a 10% body fat. Like that's just not that's not as typical. Like some dudes walk in there at 18 and they just walk in with their little 10% and their little six pack and they just made like that. Like, congratulations. That's probably not realistic for as many of your female athletes. Um, so I think that if you are a male working in the female side of athletics, you do have a responsibility to still educate yourself. And if you don't know where to start, then reach out to other female coaches or other resources or find a way Um to start having those conversations uh, because I think if you're not, then you are doing a disservice to your female athletes, to be quite honest, the same way as in working in male sports, there are certain things that I've had to educate myself on and have a better understanding of where they're coming from because I'm doing them a disservice. If I don't do a better job of trying to understand their point of view and some of the things that they have to deal with on a regular basis. So I think it's true for, for both ways. It's not just a one-way thing. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to piggy back off of Tessa and I think that like it comes with ownership and that's a part of like being a leader like if whether you're a PT or you're a strength coach in your athletic staff or you're the coach yourself it comes with ownership and realizing that like you're going to have to get uncomfortable to like learn more about these sorts of things and kind of get past that stigma of like what are women going through versus what are men going through and then I think you have to be brave enough to be vulnerable to have those conversations if you are a female coach or a male coach um, and that may be like an uncomfortable conversation but you have to be the one to kind of bring it up because ultimately what's going on with female athletes like does impact their performance and it's impacting like how they're doing on the field and off the field um, and then I think not viewing people as like robots so if you do notice some decline in performance 
um, not treating them like, oh, like you need to fix your behaviors. Like, I think you have to be curious in trying to figure out what's actually going on with them and like, what's the root cause of it. Um, and then I think it also has to be from the top down. So like, I think, you know, organizations need to value educating people, but then also like leadership needs to really value educating people and learning more and understanding what's going on with female athletes. And then with that, everyone needs to be on the same page. Cause as soon as you start delivering mixed messages about like, this is what's going on with you, or this is what's going on with you, then the athletes will start to kind of not trust you as much and say, well, this person said this. So why are you saying this? So I think everyone has to be on the same page and there has to be more of an emphasis placed on prevention and early interventions rather than treating things after the fact. So I'm going to, I'm going to chime in as like on the, I guess on the research side, that was a big part of why I did my research, like I, I knew when I started my PhD program that I was whatever, you know, I was, it, you know, it was in sports performance, but whatever research I was going to do was going to be focused on the female athlete for that very reason. There's just not a lot out there. Um, but I, I think that the two of you have touched on some really important things about, about education. You know, I don't know, I'm, I'm not a man, so I don't know this, but I don't know how many male coaches start out coaching with the goal that they're going to coach a female sports team. Like it just, you know, when I, when I kind of think through that, it doesn't, I don't know that that's the, their goal. You know, I would imagine when they first start out coaching, like they want to get to the highest level, like maybe they want to, you know, whatever the highest level of the sport that they're coaching is. And then they end up at some point in time in their career, you know, coaching a female team, but they don't know again, like, don't know the nuances of the female body. They, they aren't educated, you know, about hormonal changes and body composition. But I think too, beyond that type of education, coaches in general, I think need to be very careful about the way that they say things to their athletes. And, and quite frankly, I would say that this is true for both men and women. Um, because you can, possibly have the best intention and think that you're motivating your athletes and in in the way that something comes across it it might not be that way and it could actually be the exact opposite of that and so you know i think when it comes to recovery and you know overreaching overtraining if you're you know i i i think sophia just said it you know if you're trying to tell them like, no, you just need to push harder. You know, you can keep on going. You need to stop and figure out why they're not. Um, one of the things that I implemented when I was programming for Olympic, an Olympic weightlifting team, we started doing session RPE because I, I didn't have any money. I couldn't, you know, get them on any kind of, you know, amazing recovery system. Nobody wanted to wear a whoop and, you know, I love that data, but I think it's probably a little skewed too. And so we just have them track how long their training sessions took, how much weight they lifted, and then whatever their RPE, we did zero to 10 because most, you know, most people can't, they don't understand why Borg did six to 20. Quite frankly, I don't either. Um, so zero to 10, I think it's just a little bit easier for everybody. And so they'd take the total amount of time that they trained and they'd multiply it by their RPE, and that would give us their session RPE. And so the higher the number, 
in theory, the more taxing the training session was. And so then you could, you know, look at this on a spreadsheet and get this great snapshot over time about how these athletes were doing. And if you're seeing three or four weeks of really, really high numbers, and then you're also paying attention to your athlete and you're starting to see some of those like motivational changes and, you know, sleep disruption and just overall mood disturbances. And then their performance starts to go down. If you'd been paying attention to something as simple as that, and then went in and started to stay curious and not judgmental and ask those clarifying questions, you can then build that trust. I think with those female athletes to then get them to subsequently open up to you and say like, yeah, I had a really rough period this month. I don't know why, but it was really hard. And also I know I need to eat more, but I'm super stressed because I have a physics exam and I don't want to go eat, you know, and, and really finding out the things that are happening outside of the training room and outside of, of, of the field. And it can start so simply, but, you know, to both of your points, you have to be vulnerable and be willing to educate yourself and be willing to admit that maybe you don't freaking know anything about the female athlete, but damn it, you're going to try because your, your kids are important to you and your team is important to you. And that's, I think, you know, what, when Sophia said ownership that I, I love that I'm a huge Jocko Willink fan. And so you know, you just, you just own your shit. And as a coach, it's your responsibility. If you're going to, if you're going to lead your team to, to, to own your limitations and then subsequently do your best to figure out how to address them. I think that's great. Um, and I think a big point too, in that ownership, um, to go off of how we've talked about lack of education and lack of resources too. I think my advice would be to, you know, whether you're a male or female coach, um, is to start small with some of those changes that you're trying to do too, especially if you're trying to implement, you know, if it's a new tracking system, like you just talked about Megan, or, you know, if you're sitting down with all these athletes individually one-on-one about, Hey, like, what are you eating? What changes can we make? Like across the board, you know, just trying to do one thing at a time, one small thing at a time, chip away, like get buy-in for that with your athletes and then tackle that, be really good at it and then move on to kind of some of the other issues that we've talked about too. Um, And just understanding that it's going to be different, you know, athlete to athlete and also from one team to another, like we briefly talked about earlier. And then, you know, from one school to another, your new position, maybe you will have more resources and more access to um, nutrition and feeding your kids compared to previous jobs. And if that's the case, that's awesome. Um, So then you can work on something different too. Um, But I think, you know, sometimes it can be daunting when looking at some of the things that we just talked about, um, but really just focusing in on what can you be really good at or what can you make an improvement in right now and kind of just slowly keep building off of that. And um, the last thing I would say is that in terms of the education piece, I think, Sophia, you talked about top down and it just just think of who these athletes are with the most too. Like, especially if you're in the collegiate level, you're probably with, you know, your sport coaches, your athletic trainer and your strength coach a lot of the time, um, just being on campus so much. And then on top of that, who are they around, you know, do they have parents in their ear telling them, um, you know, what they think is best for nutrition and what they should be 
um, you know, eating or what they should be doing for recovering, you know, is it right or is it wrong? So really just trying to not only educate your athletes, but educate your sport coaches. Like, are they saying something wrong to the kids? You know, even if it's good intentions, maybe they need to be a little bit more educated about, Hey, you know, actually that diet isn't a great idea for, for our athletes. And just making sure that who these kids are around 90% of the time is sending them all the same information. And so they're not getting sidetracked. Oh, I'm going to do this and then this and, and nothing really improves. But um, again, I think just tackling it one thing at a time and, and going from there too. Yeah. Just kind of definitely agree on what everyone touched on with the education piece. Something that made me think about when Kylie brought up girls not wanting to lift because they're going to get bulky. I remember that was something that when I was playing softball in college, I would get insecure about, you know, my arms looking big in a crop top at the bar or getting asked how much you squat because you have, you know, bigger thighs than most of the male athletes. But just realizing that all these girls that are starting to get into the weight room and get strong and get fast, that you don't look bulky. This is, you have an incredible balance of beauty and strength and that all these things that you're doing in the weight room and that you can do on the field with your body and your, your strong muscles. These are a lot of things that other girls could only dream of doing. And that these little girls that are looking up to you and want to play at that level and want to look just like you one day that that's, they don't even see or think about the things that you might be negatively thinking about yourself when you look in the mirror. So I think the body image thing is a huge piece that, you know, what you look like allows you to do badass things on the field, just reminding these girls that it's all about that. And then I know we talked a little bit about the self-discovery piece and the athlete identity and just how important it is to not just wrap your self-worth up in your on-field performance. And, you know, it's very easy to become like over-reliant on external validation from your coaches from the world of social media that we live in from fans and just wanting to feel accepted because of the stuff that you do on the field so it's hard with these girls especially at the college level where time management is so hard and doing stuff out of sport is hard but trying to find time to explore hobbies and learn skills and figure out like what the heck is important to me besides playing softball, playing basketball, gymnastics, what else gets me excited? What do I look forward to when I get up in the morning? Because there's so much more to your self-worth than your sport. And once that ends, you're going to have to find other things that do fill your cup. So yeah, the body image, the self-discovery, and then kind of what we talked about before, educating male coaches in the female athlete space is, is huge. Couldn't agree more. Definitely have a question for you guys. Um, like something I've been thinking a lot about, especially as I start to get a little bit older now, and I'm not like the little 21, 22 year old who can just bounce back from anything uh, and eat however I wanted and drink whatever I wanted and wake up the next morning in PR. That's just like not how life works anymore. Um, I felt like people have these conversations with me in college. Like I remember sitting in nutrition meetings and them being like, this is what the makeup should be. This is what you, how much carbs proteins fats like these are the examples and I'd be like yeah yeah great and then I'd go eat four cookies you know and then go to conditioning the next morning so I don't know maybe you guys have come up with better ways but being on the other side of it now as a coach I feel like okay I take my nutrition way more seriously I take sleep more seriously like I take all these things that I wish I would have taken seriously in college serious now now that I'm not like an athlete who's actually competing and I just 
always it always runs through my head like what if I would have actually taken these things serious when I was a collegiate athlete I don't know maybe you guys have some better ways that you've been able to reach your athletes but I feel like that's something that I'm still trying to find better ways to actually make these changes for my kids or get them to at least try to make these changes while they're still athletes versus being someone like me where it's like hey we didn't actually make them until we weren't playing a competitive sport anymore so I don't know maybe y'all have some some input on that I think it's I think that in its simplest form like the 80 20 rule is I think what's missing from this so you know you get like like you said you go to these nutrition meetings and they're like okay you need to eat this you know if you're doing macronutrients well that opens a whole other can of worms but you know if you're if you're telling someone it doesn't matter if it's a if it's a college athlete or you know just a regular adult woman who just wants to exercise to be healthy. And she's asking you about nutrition advice. Anytime you start adding restriction into it, the, the brain is not engineered to, to actually hear positive things. The brain is engineered to hear negativity first. So I, I think bad news and bad reviews travel faster than good news and good reviews. And so if you go about it by saying, don't eat this stuff, and this is what you can choose from, and you need to do this all the time, you're, you're automatically setting them up for failure because you've given them this expectation of perfection that, you know, I've, I've worked with some, some games athletes and like they eat cookies, they drink beer, a lot of beer, you know? And so if you give them, if, if you're teaching them balance out of the gate, I think it's a lot easier for them to then find that balance later on as they're, you know, when they finish their collegiate career or they finish, you know, whatever their athletic career looks like, and then they've moved on to like just regular life, they have an idea of what that balance looks like. And then they don't feel as guilty, you know, and, and, and I don't know, you know, Tessa, maybe you didn't, I would not have felt guilty when I was in college about eating four cookies and going and doing conditioning. I would have been like, fuck yeah, I just got a bunch of carbs, see how fast I am. Right. And so, you know, I, I think that, um, just showing them that it doesn't have to be perfect. And that if you can follow these guidelines, cause that's what they are. They're guidelines. They're not rules. If you can follow these guidelines, maybe 85 to 90% of the time, and then give yourself the opportunity to live your life, you know, go, don't go out and get wasted. But if you want to go have a drink with your friends, you can go have a drink with your friends and then, you know, still be responsible and get yourself to bed. And if you go out on a bender because you guys won the national championship, well, guess what? You just won the national championship and nobody's going to ask you to do any conditioning the next day. So, you know, go have fun and celebrate that, but just show them that it doesn't have to be perfect. This is kind of like, I guess the psychology aspect of it, but I think kind of piggybacking off of um, what Kylie was saying earlier about just starting really small with things. I think that there's a lot of value to like emphasizing their strengths. So like if they only like X fruit or X vegetable, like emphasize on that, or if they, you know, ate protein after their meal, whatever it was emphasizing on that, I think helps a lot. So just emphasizing on their strengths and really positively re-encouraging when they do do it. But then I think in general, it's good for them to actually like it for, for it to be their idea. Cause I think like coaches were all the time, like you need to do this, you need to do this. But 
as much as we do that, we're not always going to be there when they're like by themselves on the weekend or like doing whatever on the weekend, they're out on the weekend. So I think that they have to genuinely value it as a piece of their holistic performance model and realize like how it's going to help them get to the end vision of like winning the conference championship or doing better that week in practice or whatever it is. And then I think as always with anything, just like asking questions and being curious and asking them how they felt when they ate X meal versus Y meal or whatever it was. Yeah. I think, and then my last piece on it too, I think would just be vulnerable with them and show them, you know, like show them, sit, go sit down with them and eat a meal. You know, if they have a team meal, go sit down and um, sort of have a regular conversation, eat side by side with them so they can see you demonstrating what you're also trying to tell them that they need to be doing. So it's not just, hey, she's telling me this, but yeah, she gets to go eat those cookies. Like, no, she, this is serious. She's implementing it in her own life as well. Um, and just being a good role model and demonstrating that, um, on your own. And I think with like all realms too, not just, um, nutrition, but you know, your training, do they see you train? Do they see you recover and carrying a water bottle around for hydration and just all those aspects that can affect the performance, you know, um, how visible are you to them in, in helping create that, um, that demonstration for them. I think you bring up a great point of the fact that our kids see us do everything. I mean, think about how much we travel with them. I mean, Kylie, we're on the road with our basketball teams for four months straight. We see everything they do. They see everything we do. They see what we eat in the airport. They see how much water we're drinking. They see what we eat at meals. They see if we work out when we're on the road. Like they see all of that stuff. Um, and I think that I know, at least I do, I forget to place the value on the fact that they just see you living your life every day and that alone can help make habit changes. So I think that was a great point. Yeah. I think kind of what Megan talked about was really important as far as it's not about restricting or taking away from most of these athletes. It's giving them options and giving them stuff that they can add in and setting the example, I think is huge. And for most of them, it's, you're not really diving into the macronutrients. It's more about, Hey, did you, have a protein carb and a fruit and veggie in your meal today. Like it's, you got to start small and then kind of meet them where they're at. And then you can tailor it and individualize it from there. I also think like a lot of times your female athletes will look to you for permission on things. And like, they want your approval on things. Like I remember I had an interaction with one of my kids um, and she was like, Hey, coach test, like I can have a cookie, right? And I was like, hell yeah, girl, enjoy your cookie. She's like, yeah, like I'm going to eat my protein, but I can have a cookie. I was like, girl, eat your cookie, enjoy it, eat your protein, like move on with your life. That's all it is too. And she's like, okay. And it was just interesting that like, that was something that she wanted to see how I felt about it. Like if I had been like, hell no, don't eat that cookie. Like what would the interaction have been like? Like how would that have changed her mindset? Like was that placing restriction on it? Like it would have just been interesting if I would have taken a different approach with that. Um, and so I just think it's interesting to think about the psychology of how your kids look at you and how what you say to them affects them. Uh, and I think that the language that you use is super important as well. And just how you talk about body image, how you talk about weight. Um, I mean, I've definitely had male coaches say to me in the past and you know, they meant it out of like a fun place, but like, oh, you're always eating. Like, yeah, I'm a athlete. I need calories. And we just practice for four hours. Of course I'm eating, but like little comments like that. And just being aware of how you talk to your athletes. 
I definitely think uh, those are those are super important to be aware of. So there, there were two things that different people said that I think are really important. And, and I, I can't remember who said what, so I apologize. But someone said something. Oh, no, I think it was Michaela that was talking about, you know, as a as a female athlete, in terms of body positivity, you're the one who's who's kind of setting that example for the little girls that are watching you. And when I was pregnant, I was like, please, Lord, do not give me a girl because I don't really know how to do that. I can't do the bows. I can't do the glitter. Like That's just not my thing. And so I was gratefully blessed with a boy. Um, but I realized that it's the same because what I think female athletes also show little boys is that women can be both beautiful and strong And, you know, my son has been in the gym with me since he was six weeks old and he, I don't know how my husband feels about this, but he does, he doesn't, I've never heard him say, I want to be strong like daddy. And it doesn't mean that my husband's not strong, but he's seen me lift, you know, he's five and a half now. So he's seen me lift for five years. Like that's just what he's used to. He sees me exercise And, you know, so now like on the weekends, if we don't go to the gym, we've got, you know, a ton of stuff in our house and he'll want to come outside and, and, and do a workout with me. So he's got like his own little, you know, purple three pound dumbbells and he's doing the same movements that I'm doing. And then if I have to run, he hops on his bike and we mapped out like a 400 meter in our neighborhood. And, you know, that's, he's, he's learning those things by watching me. And so our kids I think it's, you know, as fun as men's sports is to watch. And there, there are women's sports that are just as fun, but I, you know, they don't get the press time. I think the, the kids in our country are getting more out of seeing what female athletes are capable of. And I think it helps to shape that societal expectation that women have worked so hard for decades to try to change. Um, so I wanted to touch on that. And then I think Tessa, you said something about, it's a lot like parenting and it's 100% like parenting. And, you know, with, again, with our son, we're trying to teach him how to eat healthy food and he's five. So he loves sugar and anything that's a dessert. And so we're trying to show him that like, yes, you can have those things, but it's, it's a, it's a treat. It's something special. And so when those things are kind of revered, I guess, as something to savor and enjoy, you know, like what you told your athletes, like go enjoy that cookie. Hell yeah. Savor that cookie. Don't forget your protein. Like you need to eat your healthy food first. Um, you know, have, have the protein shake and then go enjoy your cookie. But, you know, just, just demonstrating that it's the same, I think for children as it is for when we're coaching athletes, um, you know, or if we're in any kind of leadership role, I think it all goes back to leadership and ownership. If you demonstrate the, the behaviors and the expectations that you want to see in your team, then eventually it might take a really long time, but eventually they'll follow it. And I think that's like where that vulnerability piece comes into play as well that Kylie talked about of like, I'm going to be a role model, role model for y'all. And I'm going to kind of show you like, Hey, this is how you can do things day to day, but also I'm not perfect. And these are the things that I experience. Like I know for me, when I stopped playing college ball, I was definitely not prepared for the body image issues that came along with it. Like my whole job was to hit a ball hard 
and I played first base and be a wall and it was cool. I was, I was thick and I was strong and I loved it. And then all of a sudden I didn't have to do any of that shit anymore. And then I started to give a crap about how I looked off of a softball field and it totally screwed with my head. And that was its own experience in itself, but learning how to navigate like, Hey, this is how I treat my body. Now this is my body's role. Like, this is how I take care of my body. Like that was not something anyone prepared me for whatsoever. Um, and I think now I have a much, honestly, like took me probably like two and a half years to get a handle on it after finishing up college ball. And that's something I try to share with my athletes all the time, because I like hear the comments they make, like we weigh in once a week for, you know, various reasons, uh, health related reasons, injury related reasons, just making sure, you know, there's no red flags as we go through season. Um, and I just hear the comments they make of like, oh, I'm going to be heavy today or, oh, I ate this last night or, oh, I don't want to look at the scale today or, oh no, I'm really light. I haven't eaten a meal since yesterday, like all those little comments. And so I think that's where like that balance of being vulnerable and, and and explaining to them and giving them your own life experiences and showing them like, hey, I went through this, I had to go through this learning curve, but then also being the role model to be like, hey, we can be vulnerable, we can go through it, we can learn from it. And then we can also get to the other side of it. And this is how we work through it. That sounds so anxiety provoking to me, like just thinking about the idea that I have to weigh in every week, like, and I've been like removed from from athletics as, as, as a participant for a long time. Um, but even, even when I was pregnant, I would, when I would go in to the doctor's office, I would get on the scale backwards because I did not want to know because I'd been a weight class athlete most of my life. And I just watched myself move, you know, from one weight class to the next. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having, I'm, I'm like growing another human being. Like the, the priority is totally different, but that mindset that you're describing of like, oh, I'm going to be heavy today, or I've never had the, oh, I'm going to be light today thought. Um, but you know, but that's, that's, it's not different really for anybody, you know, it's just the, I'm going to be this today. And then that becomes that internal narrative. And then mentally, they take that into the training room or they take that into practice or they take that into a game. And then that, you know, that combined with everything else, I think can affect their performance and that internal narrative about, you know, going back to kind of where we started on who they are as an athlete. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to unlearn that. I'm, I'm really proud of you that it only took two and a half years to unlearn that. (laughs) It's a long process. Oh, don't worry. There's there's some good days. There's some bad days, but I feel like I finally got into a place where at least I have a better handle on it. Um, but I agree with the weighing. And like, honestly, when I first started working with female teams, like deciding if I was going to weigh my girls once a week, I really struggled with that, especially knowing like I was at a point where I couldn't step on a scale at all because it was super triggering. And it was like, well, how if I feel that way and I just got out of college athletics and I'm sure some of my girls feel that way. And at that point I was working with volleyball and soccer as well. And volleyball and soccer, those are two sports that you definitely see, I would say a higher spike in eating disordered or disordered eating issues. Um, and I'm sure Kylie and them can speak to that as well. So like, I really struggled with that, 
but ultimately I just decided that it was something we need to do because like on the basketball side of things, I have guards who are super light and like, I need to make sure that we're maintaining weight in season because all of a sudden we're dropping from 135 to 129 and we're gassed in the third and coach is looking at me like what's going on. And I found out she hasn't eaten a meal since yesterday and we play, a, she's playing 40 minutes tonight. So like, it was definitely something I struggled with a lot, but like you said, like, you have anxiety just thinking about getting on the scale. So my girls have the same option. I always tell them like, you don't have to look at the number. You don't have to know the number. You can step on the scale backwards. It's purely just more for me to make sure that I'm keeping you safe and ready to go and keeping you at an optimal space to perform the best that you can. So like if you knowing that number is going to be super triggering, step on the scale backwards, I'll tell you, you're good. You get off and you don't even got to know what you weigh the whole season um because that is that's definitely a very real thing for female athletes and just females in general yeah I think when I think about I'm, I'm the same way with you um Tessa and I've, I've gone back and forth on it um especially depending on what sport I've had I when I had swim and dive it was a big big stressor for them back when I was a GA and um and you know I the way I approach it now is one like you said just I'm trying to make sure there's no red flags I'm trying to make sure we're not dropping too much weight too fast in season um and just using it to drive conversations need be um but more importantly I always try and neutra neutralize it like you said and but even when they make comments right so like like you said oh I'm gonna be happy today or you know like that's all right. That's fine. Like, oh, I had a big meal last night. Perfect. Like you should be eating at night. That's great. Like, was it one of your three meals? Awesome. Like, that's fine. And just trying to make it more neutral, if not a positive experience, stepping on that scale. And then, um, like we were supposed to weigh in, um, I think the day fell, it was like after Thanksgiving break. Well, we didn't weigh in that day, just simply understanding, okay, the situation, what happens on Thanksgiving, we all go stuff ourselves, right? No one wants to be stepping on that scale. So why, why create that atmosphere, right? Like let them come back to baseline for a few days and then kind of get your way in for that week or, or situations like that. And then I always like to open my door and say, Hey, you know, if there's anyone that, that doesn't want to step on a scale at all, even without seeing it, like if it's still too much, like just come talk to me, we'll figure it out. You won't have to do it or we'll find a way that that better suits you in your situation too. And just always trying to keep it neutral um, and not so anxiety driving uh, when they come in, no, they have to weigh in. Yeah. I think the idea of like keeping things neutral is overlooked a lot in what we do. Like, I know I always think I, I fall into the same trap of like, is it positive? Is it negative? Like which side does it fall on? But like, sometimes things can just be neutral. It's kind of like the same idea it makes me think of like when your team comes in the weight room and you know, it's a day where they just really, they not about it. They've had a hard practice day or maybe we already played two games that week, but we got to get a lift in for whatever reason. This is our only day. And it's like, Hey, just come in and get the work done. Do the work. You're here. Give me the intent we need. It's a neutral. Um, it's not a negative thing. It's not a positive thing. It's just something that we're going to do. And then we're going to move forward. Uh, I think if a lot of people in the collegiate athletic space could work on keeping some things more neutral I think it would benefit a lot of us like myself included keeping things more neutral so I think that's a great point I agree with that I think like keeping it almost like bringing in the psychology piece and like looking at it from like a bird's eye view like getting them to be like okay what would it mean if I weighed a little bit more this week 
Like, let's actually break down. If you weigh two more pounds, like what would that actually mean? And like, how do you feel performance wise? But I think also just getting them to utilize mindfulness and be like, okay, like, what is this thought that I'm having about weight? And like, what's the belief tied to that? Like, where's this belief coming from that I have to weigh exactly the same every single day or weigh this exact weight? And what's maybe like a more helpful thought that we could replace that with and then really reinforce and like utilize that on a daily basis. And not to like dive down a weight uh, <laughs> rabbit hole that we're going down, but I definitely think that like a lot of females, we associate our value with our weight and how our body feels, um, even regardless of stepping on the scale or not on the scale. And so I think that if you're in college, like let's say you're a collegiate athlete and let's say you had a great day, you put up 20 points, let's say you're a basketball player, you feel great, your body feels good, like, yeah, that's great, and you're placing value on that, but let's say maybe you're someone who's not getting the minutes, you haven't really, you know, seen the minutes you hope to see, you aren't really doing as much as you thought you were going to be doing this season, like, your internal value may feel lower, and by, like, an extension, maybe seeing that number on the scale, you feel worse about your value already, and that just tacks on to it, um, and so I just think, like, maybe sometimes people don't understand or don't realize how much female athletes can tie how they feel about their body to their like own personal value and own personal self-worth. Yeah. I know I'm definitely guilty of that. Like when I played soccer, I was like built for playing soccer. So I was definitely a lot lighter at this, at this height. And like, then once I transferred to powerlifting, it's like literally the opposite energy system. And so you're like, what the heck's going on with my body? I'm like, putting on weight after I like eat and I'm not, you know, running friggin' 20 miles in a day. And so your body like starts to really change. And then I will say like, I was guilty of it where I would be like, Oh, like I PR today, but like my weight is up and like, I might jump over the weight class. And so I think that's where it's tricky and where I feel like it'd be interesting to learn more about how to help people who are competing in in sports with, um, with weight classes, like powerlifting or, um, like Olympic lifting. So when I, when I work with women in either of those, um, I prefer to actually have them train a kilo or two over their weight class. Um, and then, you know, if they can, if they can mentally handle it and if it's planned out really well and they need, you know, they need to cut, you, you give them plenty of time to cut you know, and so they're not, you know, they're not losing strength. They'll still make weight. Um, but it's, it's interesting though, that I I love that you said that because I've had multiple times where I've been like, Oh, that was a great lift. Like I PR'd. And then I'm like, Oh, I wonder, wonder if I'm still a 71 today, or am I now in the 75 kilo class? Like, was it that good? you know, because, because that's how it's measured. And then, you know, as a master's athlete, um, you get a, a, a nifty different equation and they add your age into it. And so it behooves you as you get older to be, you know, even on the lighter end in your weight class and lift a little bit more. Um, and so that the, you know, master's athletes that I've worked with have, have really struggled with some of that. But, um, I think, it's, it's so interesting that the women's brain can have, you know, like Tessa's talking about, you know, that basketball player who got the minutes that she wanted and she scored the 20 points and, you know, she's feeling really great and her body feels good. 
there's a woman out there who feels that way. And then for whatever reason gets on the scale before she goes to bed and sees that number and everything that she felt about herself just goes down the toilet because of that stupid ass number on the scale. And, you know, so I don't know, I don't know what it's going to take societally to get us, you know, maybe it's conversations like this, um, but to get us away from from that thought process. And, and I love the idea of, of being mindful about it. You know, where's that thought coming from? What's a, how can you replace that thought? And honestly, if it's two pounds, that might be, did you have something with too much salt or too little salt? Are you hydrated? Or do you just need to go have a good poop? You know, (laughs) it could just be that simple. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't change your worth as a woman or as an athlete or as a contributor to your team. And damn it, you still PR'd. Like, celebrate that shit. That was great. I think that's like something interesting that's come from working with male athletes is we weigh the football guys in every day. That's how we we track their weight for every lift. So they're weighing in like three to four days a week for us. And for them, it's so whatever. Like, so there's, a, there's a select few who are like trying to gain weight. And so like, yeah, they step on the scale and they're like, damn, I'm 170 again today. Like, this shit sucks. But like most of them are like, dang, I'm 185. I wonder if I would have been 187 if I didn't go to the bathroom before I came in here. I'm like, bro, me, how you think about the scale and how we think about the scale, we are not the same. But they like do a good job of looking at the scale as as so much more of like a neutral, just like, this is my number today. Okay, I still look great. Let me move on with my life. Um, so I definitely think like working with working with the football team at middle has made me adopt more of that neutral mindset about it um so I do think that male athletes probably do a little bit better job of that but I also think that that's deep rooted in some societal gender norms and I think that's a whole nother wormhole to go down like I think they're set up for success more on that side of things uh but I do think it's impressive their ability to stay neutral about what their number says on the scale I feel like we've covered so much ground today and we've discussed, well, you've discussed so many amazing points. There's one thing I want to mention real quick is earlier, one of you mentioned about the importance of leadership and ownership and accountability. And I think one thing that came to mind for me is you don't really need a title to be a leader in this space. You don't need to be you know, head PT for this team or head strength coach for that team. You don't need to be head AT for that team. You can be involved and have any title that you want to have. I think every person has the power to show up and express the absolute best within themselves, regardless of what their role is in the sporting world. I think everyone has the ability to inspire and influence and elevate others that are around them through the power of a great example. I think that everyone has the ability to passionately bring about positive change in the face of negative conditions. And I think we discussed today that there are a lot of negative conditions around the female athlete space, and there's so much that can be done to improve the state of female athletes across the country and now it just takes you know one person making an an impact and having a difference in their local community and hopefully starting a chain reaction from there does anyone have 
any closing thoughts or closing remarks or anything that we missed today? Um, I just think it's important to remember that whoever you are, like if you're working with female athletes, like, and just athletes in general, but we're talking about female athletes, you're an advocate for them. So it's your responsibility to be there for them. It's your responsibility to step up and have those hard conversations with them. Um, it's your responsibility to sometimes be, especially like if you're a support staff member, to be the gap between your players and maybe a higher up coach and help them have that conversation or help one side understand where the other person's coming from. Um, just we're here to serve these athletes and we're here to help them grow and we're here to help their college experience be everything they want it to be and reach that maximum potential that they want to reach. Uh, so just keeping that in mind, like that's what we're here to do. So when you just continue to educate yourself so you can be that person for your athletes. Yeah, Dan, you talked about leadership. I think it's important whether you know, you're a coach like some of us or a trainer or you're an athlete yourself that's on a team that you know, leadership starts from within practice, leading yourself, others and holding yourself to that higher standard. So you can put yourself in the best position to lead your athletes and lead your other teammates um, to the, in the most effective way possible. So being able to lead yourself is a skill. Leadership is a skill. It's not based on your age, your title, your ability. It's always something that you continually can get better at and hone those different skills that make up an effective leader. Yeah, I think to piggyback off of that, like it's it's hard to have these conversations and it can be uncomfortable to have these conversations, especially if you're a male coach or a male athletic trainer. But I think that, you know, it means the world to athletes when you ask how they're doing or you try and figure out the why behind why they might may not be performing as well. Um, and I think, you know, with that leader, with whatever leadership position you're in, it does come with vulnerability, but um, that comes with an opportunity to grow in your own position, wherever you're at. And then on top of that, like it is going to require you to be uncomfortable and be brave. But I think that's part of the beauty of being a leader is you have those opportunities to really make a difference in somebody's life. And down the line, they are really going to appreciate that. I want to thank all five of you so much for your time and for everything that you've given today from your knowledge and experience, but also everything that you've given up to today to the athletes that you serve day in and day out in your various roles. And I know that the world is a better place because of each and every one of you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brown Body Health and Fitness Podcast. If you liked this episode, please make sure to share it with a friend, subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, and leave a review. This way we can spread knowledge and motivation and help reach more people. Thank you again for listening and I'll see you next time.